Now turn to Mark chapter 6. Whenever I fill in for the guys, I typically go to the book of Mark, doing a series through this book, a chapter for each message. And this morning we're in Mark chapter 6. So when you get there, I'd look at verse 35. Mark chapter 6, verse 35. The Bible says this, that when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. <clears throat> and they say unto him, Shall we go and uh, buy two hundred pennyworth of bread, and f- give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green, green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among, among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time and this place today, Lord. We are grateful again to you for the opportunity to come here and gather with your people and hear your word. And Lord, I pray now that as we look into the word of God this morning, Father, as we look at this familiar story, I pray, Lord, you would take this and show us new principles that we might use uh, to make us more like Jesus Christ as we live our lives here. Father, I pray you might set me aside. Don't let me get in the way of what you want to do here this morning. May there be open hearts, attentive minds, Lord, as we look at your word. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that everybody in this room this morning, and probably everybody watching on Facebook Live or YouTube, you're all Bible-believing Christians. And so I know that you believe without question uh, that whatever the Bible says is true. Now, I'm going to make a statement to start this morning that might shock you, but I believe it is a Bible-based statement. Here's my statement. I don't believe that Jesus Christ fed 5,000 people. Now, before you get up and leave and go tell everybody you know the pastor of Calvary Bible Baptist Church is a heretic, let me explain to you what I mean. In the account that I've just read you this morning, uh, Jesus Christ provided the basis for the miracle, without a doubt. Certainly, had Jesus Christ not been there, had he not done what he did, there would be nothing to see as far as this situation goes. But Jesus Christ did not feed 5,000 people. His disciples fed 5,000 people. They were the actual ones who fed, and they did that with the food that they miraculously got from the Lord. That is my premise as we start this morning. And so I want to review with you what happened in this familiar story uh, and kind of get the picture of what uh, was going on here at this time. Jesus Christ is teaching the people, and it's getting late. The disciples begin to get nervous, and they come to Jesus Christ, and they say to him, Lord, it's getting late, and these people haven't eaten. These must have been Baptists because they were very concerned about the food. They had not eaten in quite a while, they said. We're out here in the middle of a desert. There's no food around here, no McDonald's to stop at. There's nothing here. So let's send them away. Let them go find food, uh, buy food somewhere, and then they can uh, be fed. And Jesus Christ, in in response, says, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And I'm guessing that Judas, who was the treasurer at that time, began to figure out how much it was going to cost to feed all these people. And he came up with a figure of 200 penny worth of bread. Now, 200 penny worth in that time was about eight months' pay for a person who was working at that time. And that wouldn't even begin to feed all these people. And so they asked Jesus Christ, do you want us to surrender eight months of our salary just so we can feed these people? You see, these disciples had their eyes firmly focused on the circumstances and not on the Savior. And by the way, anytime we do that, we risk missing a miracle. 
Whenever we, don't, we do our own assessment of the situation based on the circumstances that we see, and, and whenever we allow those circumstances to overwhelm our faith, we've put ourselves in a situation where God cannot work like he wants to. We limit God's activity in our lives and reduce the chances of a miracle being seen whenever I take my focus off him. So Jesus Christ says to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said they had five loaves and two fishes. Now, I want you to hold your hand there, Mark, and turn over to the book of John. Go to John chapter 6. And when you get there, look at verse 9, because they say they have five loaves and two fishes. John tells us where that all came from. What John 6 tells us is that Andrew found a young man with a lunch. And they were going to use his food as the basis of their answer to the Lord. Now look at verse 9, if you would, of John chapter 6. Andrew brings this lunch to the Savior, and he says, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But look at the question. But what are they among so many? There was no disciple in that group, apparently, that saw any way out of this predicament, which is because they had removed Jesus Christ from the equation. And as you are well aware, and we read it here this morning, Jesus Christ took those loaves and those fishes and multiplied them to the point where there was food enough for everybody there. Jesus Christ made the food. Jesus Christ didn't feed the people. And for the disciples, as Jesus Christ did so often, this became a great learning moment for them at the hands of the Savior. The disciples said, Lord, we have a problem. And Jesus Christ says, solve it. Find a way out of this predicament. Find these people something to eat. Uh, The best teacher is that one who makes his students able to answer their own questions. And that's what Jesus Christ does here. He says, feed them. Find something for them to eat. I just wonder if, as Jesus Christ said that to them, give you them to eat. I wonder inside in his own mind, he was saying, come on, fellas, you can do this. You've got the principles. You know what to do. And then maybe he thought of the verse in John 14, 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I just wonder if internally Jesus Christ was pleading with them. Fellas, just remember the promises. Just remember the principles. Just remember who you serve and act on those promises by faith. And what's really going on here, as we consider this familiar story, is that Jesus Christ is giving them a hands-on application of all that he had been teaching them up to that point. Jesus Christ had gave them the prince, had given them the principles. Now he wanted them to see it, what it looked like when they put those principles into action. Just prove God with what I've told you and watch what happens. I believe that's what was going on in the mind of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does the same thing in our lives every time a problem or a predicament shows up. He doesn't bring things into our lives to torture us. And often, they do not occur in a way to discipline us. It's not always discipline. That's a possibility, but not necessarily. Most of the time, when God brings a challenge into your life, they are placed there by God himself as an opportunity for us to practice what we've learned about our Lord. Take all those principles and put them into that situation and watch what happens. Our faith will never be strengthened if we never exercise it. And that's true physically, that's true spiritually as well. We are often too fearful to exercise uh, what God has given to us on our own. And so God brings circumstances into our lives and forces us to do that. And just like with the disciples, as he puts you through that circumstance, he's saying, you can handle this. Just take the principles and apply them. Take what you've learned about me and just put it to practice. Just claim those promises that you read in my word, that the Holy Spirit has illuminated to you, and then just watch what I do as a result. Every challenge is an opportunity to see God work. And I believe that with all my heart. Watch God do his miracle as he puts you into those situations. What we do often 
What I do oftentimes is I avoid those challenges. I don't want to face them, and so I kind of take a step back for them or try to find a way around them. But you see, if I do that, I will miss the miracle, and my faith will not be as strong as it could have been had I gone through it. Now, here's the components that make up what happened there that day. First of all, we've got a small boy who has a lunch. He's willing to give that lunch up to the Lord for his use. And the great practical lesson there is simple, simply this. Jesus Christ can use whatever a person willingly gives to him. Whatever you willingly give to the Lord, he can use. Let go of it and give it to him. So the little boy here supplied the food uh, such as it was. Next, aside from the boy, we have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is who we could call the great multiplier. The great multiplier. He took something that was small and insignificant and made something great out of it. And there's a concept here that I don't want to miss, and we're going to expand on it in a few minutes. Let me just set the stage for it, if I could. The fact is, it doesn't matter how much we have, how many skills we have, how many abilities we possess. It doesn't matter how great or how insignificant those skills and abilities may be. It doesn't matter what we have financially, what we have materially. Jesus Christ can take whatever is given to him, no matter how small, and multiply it so that it can meet whatever need exists that he wants us to meet. He can take whatever you have and use it for his service, for his purpose. Now, hold on to that. We're going to get back to that in just a few minutes. Here's the real basis for our consideration of this miracle today. In order for the multitude to be fed, the disciples had to trust God to do something that was completely unreasonable, that was completely out of the ordinary, that from human terms simply made no sense. There's a book written years ago that said, when when God makes no sense... (laughs) God often makes no sense from our human reasoning. And when those times come, that's when we need to trust him even further. That's what this situation was all about. For For this multitude to be fed, they had to approach this from a totally different angle. Because Jesus Christ is going to provide food for over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And those disciples had to put their hands on that food and gather it up and distribute that food to those who needed it. And if those qualities didn't exist in this situation, and if the disciples refused to do that, that multitude would have walked away not fed and would have been hungry the rest of that day. But the disciples' faith and their willingness to involve themselves physically in the situation made the solution possible. Now, what we see in all this, just as an aside, and it's really not an aside, but I want to focus on just for a second, what you see in this story is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. God saw these people who were hungry. And God wanted to feed them. God is good. And that goodness shows through all through this story and all through our lives as well. God cared about the people who were hungry. And God cared about the disciples who needed something to learn. And so in his goodness, he orchestrated a situation to provide all that for them. Now, park there for a second. We need to be reminded of that fact every so often. Whatever work God does in our lives, that work has its source In God's goodness. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt that. Because Satan, we're going to talk about that next hour. Satan will try to get you to doubt that. God's goodness is clear here. You can see what he's trying to do. These were hungry people. They had no source of food in themselves. And Jesus Christ did not want these people to go hungry. He also had a group of disciples who needed to know who he was and have faith in him for what they would face in the future. And so in this case, his goodness was on full display. That's wonderful when that happens. Oftentimes, that's not how it goes. Oftentimes, his goodness is not on full display. There are times when God is working in our lives and his goodness is not so readily apparent. 
You see, nothing goes on in this world that God is not involved in. Nothing goes on in your life that God is not involved in. The old deists believed that God was like a clockmaker. He would wind that clock, he'd make the clock and wind it up and let us run on its own, and he never involved himself with it again. That's what the early deists believed. That is not Bible. That's not Bible. Uh, That is not how Scripture depicts God. God is actively, God is actively involved in every part of his creation all the time, including your life. Every aspect he's involved in. There is no event that occurs in our world or in our lives that he does not have a purpose for. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever that is, God has a purpose for it. you got to hold on to that. You're going to lose it if not. God has a purpose for it. And God may show you that purpose or he may not show you that purpose. But he wants you to accept that regardless of what the event is. Otherwise, that event will occur in your lives and you'll become bitter or you'll become angry or you'll become disillusioned or you'll become depressed and you'll miss the purpose for which God has that thing in your life. And he may not reveal the purpose to you. What we see as a tragedy is based in God's goodness. What we might see as an interference or an obstacle is grounded in God's goodness. Everything that God allows is done so that his purpose might be served and his purpose, listen to me, his purpose is always good. Always good. Always good. And so whether we see it clearly like we do in this miracle or whether it's hidden from us and we got to take it by faith, God's goodness is in everything that occurs. Everything. And the disciples who saw God's goodness were motivated to do what they did on that basis. And it is our confidence in God's overwhelming goodness that motivates us to serve him as well. You won't serve a God who you don't think is good. If you think that God might betray you at some point in time, you're going to take a, a, a back step back from him. You've got to believe he's good and good all the time if you're going to serve him like he wants you to serve him. And so the disciples trusted God's goodness. And in service to him, they sowed that goodness to 5,000 people, carrying that food to them. And as they did that, that food continued to grow and to grow and to expand and to multiply. <clears throat> Now, if you've ever been a leader of some uh, organization, perhaps, or some movement, whatever it might have been, uh, you're probably wondering, like I do, how exactly this happened. I read that story, and sometimes you kind of read past it and don't think about all the the possible details to it. I mean, what was the approach they used uh, to make make sure everybody got food? We're given a hint here. The Bible says they broke them down in groups of 50 and groups of 100. 5,000 people broken down into these groups. Now, as you break them down into groups, much more manageable than 5,000 people all at once. But beyond that, we're really not told how the process took place. I mean, did the disciples go to each group, break a loaf, hand it out to that group, and then as they passed that loaf around, did it become another loaf and another loaf and another loaf until all were fed? Uh, And did this happen again and again with every group that was there and all the loaves were passed out? And did the same thing happen with a fish, that a new fish kept appearing as the, as the original fish was divided? I'm guessing that's how it happened. I don't know for sure because, again, the Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what I do know, and the reason I say I think that's how it happened is because of this. There is a principle in the Word of God that exists throughout, and it's the principle of multiplication. The principle of multiplication. That word multiplied appears 43 times in our Bible. God is consistently presenting to us the idea of multiplication, both in his work in us and our work here on earth as we do his work, our work, his work for him. And so I believe God fed these, these people by multiplication. He took what was there and then multiplied it and multiplied it and multiplied it until everybody had enough. 
So here is the bread of life, multiplying bread to a hungry crowd of listeners. Those who sat there wanted to hear what Jesus Christ had to say. And that bread that he provides is always enough to satisfy whoever will hear it, as long as they respond by receiving what he offers. But I want to come back to my original point. Jesus Christ could have multiplied that bread enough to fill the stomachs of a million people had he wanted to. He could have done that all by himself. He's the Lord of all creation. He has control over everything. There is no part of his creation that does not respond to his commands. He could have made enough food to feed those people for the rest of their lives had he wanted to. But if there was no one there to give the food to them, it would do them no good whatsoever. The disciples were key. Their their involvement was key in what Jesus Christ was doing that day. And in addition to distributing that food, they were also there to collect what was left over, over 12 baskets full at the end. And so, again, what was their part in what happened that day? We'll put it into two words. Trust and participation. Trust and participation. And those two things are key to providing for a multitude what they needed on that day. First, in order to do what needed to be done, the disciples had to have their hearts right with God. Now, I realize that at the beginning, they had some questions about it. They had some concerns about it. They were human, just like you and I. But they also had had hearts that were willing to receive what Jesus Christ was instructing them to do. Their resistance was not based on unwilling hearts. It was based on a lack of understanding of how God works. But these disciples were also willing to learn God's ways, whether it made sense to their human reasoning or not. And they saw a miracle as a result. Now, here's a question for all of us this morning. How willing are we to learn God's ways? How willing are we to learn God's ways? Here's what I think. I think that so often... The the reason I don't see God work through me like I'd like to see him work through me is because I want to use my ways to do his work. And I only allow him to work through me if he does it my way. And I stop him at that point. Do you know why so many churches don't see God work through them like he wants to? It's because so many churches have decided how God is going to work and they only allow God to work in that way. They decide the course of the ministry. They decide the right way and the wrong way to do it. Any other idea that might be from God is set aside if it doesn't match what the church leaders have decided. (laughs) It's because so many churches have decided how God is going to work and only allow him to work that way. The disciples had to get these people fed. They could either send them away, let them get their own food. They could use eight months wages and feed them themselves, or they could find some other way. But they only had so many choices available. And if they'd stuck to those choices, done it their way instead of God's way, and not varied from it, those people would have been hungry the rest of that day. They would have gotten no food because their way would not have worked. And by the way, they also would have missed a miracle. I wonder how many times the work has gone undone. I wonder how many times I've missed a true, miraculous work of God simply because I am determined to do it my way. My way or no way. And as a result, I miss what God wants to do. I wonder how many times our church as a whole has missed truly seeing God work simply because we refuse to consider doing things any other way than the way we've decided to do them or the way we've always done them. One of the things I've learned in ministry over the years, you've got to be flexible. You've got to learn to bend and to move. You may hold on to some ideas that you think are very, very important, and you might find out God doesn't think they're all that important. And it's time to let them go. Now, again, I'm not talking about Bible. I'm not talking about Bible or Bible doctrine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about ways we see to do things that we hold on to because it's always been done that way or nothing else fits in my brain. 
and we force those ways, and God says, okay, do it your way. <laughs> Feel free, and I'll wait till you're done, and then I'll come back and see what I can clean up for you. Not his way, our way, and we get ourselves in trouble as a result. Here's what I know. I know the servant who truly wants to see God do a miraculous work must be willing to set his or her ideas aside and learn how God wants things to be done and let him do them his way. You see, these disciples are willing to do that. And they saw a miracle occur as a result. And I can't believe that we wouldn't see miracles as well if we simply allowed God to do things his way and let go of our ways of doing things. Now, history tells us they talk about these baskets here they filled. These baskets that they used to, fill, uh, to collect these fragments after the people had eaten were actually small baskets that each disciple carried as a part of their traveling kit. They got kind of like a, a male purse, if you would. They kept all their stuff in there. What they learned is just as that little boy offered all that he had and God used it, so also they needed to offer whatever they had and God would use that as well. I mentioned to you a minute ago, it doesn't matter what we have or how much we have. What matters is, are we making that available to him? It doesn't matter how much you have. Are you letting him use it for his glory? Are you giving it to him? You see, that's the key to everything. That's the key to it all. It's a good question every so often to ask ourselves. What do I have that God might be able to use? What do I have that God might be able to use? What am I holding back from him because I think it's unusable? And that thing that I'm holding back from him is the very thing that he wants to use to do his work. What am I unwilling to let go of because it's something that I want? And it's the very thing that God needs to do the work that he wants to do. I'm sure that when those disciples got ready for that morning to go out and and go with Jesus, they never for a minute considered the possibility that those little traveling kits, those little traveling baskets, would be used by God to do a miracle that day. It was just a little basket they carried with them every day, just an ordinary basket. They didn't see that as anything at all that God could use. God used it that day in a miraculous way. I'm sure when that little boy got up in the morning and wandered out to wherever he was going, and mom packed that lunch for him, I'm sure that kid never thought for a minute that God was going to use that lunch to do a miracle that all the ages would come to know about. (laughs) We don't know that boy's name, but that boy is in every gospel. Every gospel, he's there, giving that lunch for the sake of the Lord's work. Who would ever think God could use something like that? Who would ever think God could use five loaves and two fish to do a miracle? Who would think God could use a basket to do a miracle? But when they surrendered those things to him, look at the amazing results that were accomplished that day. Here's what I think. I think every person in this room has something like that. You've got something God can use. It may be a skill. It may be a talent. It may be a small amount of finance. It may be something. I don't know what it is. But you've got something God can use. And what you're saying to yourself is, God can never use this. God uses big things. When I see all the stuff on TV, all those great preachers, they're going with the big stuff. He can never use something like this. God can use it if you'll give it to him. The problem is we don't give it to him, either because we want to hold on to it for to ourselves or because we just don't see it as having that much value. I mean, how much value is five loaves and two fish? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Those fish were very plentiful. They could have got fish any time they wanted to if they weren't out in the desert. Uh, fish are not a big deal, but you see, he took those fish and did a miracle. Why? Because that kid was willing to give it to him. You've got something like that. And we carry those things around and never use them for God's service and never even think for a minute God could use them. And yet what we see in Scripture over and over and over, please hear me, God used insignificant people 
and insignificant things to do great works for him. I'll tell you what, the more insignificant you are, the greater God can use you. (laughs) When you just see yourself as somebody God can use with no trappings, with nothing else, just that, God can use you in a great way. That's why it's so important we surrender everything to him. Now, sometimes you talk about the struggle in doing that. We hold on to these things because it's so difficult to let go. We focus on the value they have to us, and we don't want to let go of any of it. Now, I get there are certain things in our lives that really are important to us. But sometimes we don't surrender those things to him simply because we don't think there's any way he could possibly have any use for them. So we hold on to him instead. There was a TV show on back in the 80s and 90s. I never watched it. It was called MacGyver. Maybe you watched MacGyver back when you were uh, growing up. Uh, This was, I guess, a secret agent kind of a guy. Uh, The premise of that show of MacGyver was he could take almost any object and use it to solve some problem, whatever it was. He took paper clips and, and fish hooks and pipe cleaners, all kinds of stuff, and did all these sorts of crazy things with them, and as a result, solved whatever problem he was trying to solve. They were just normal things, paper clips and pipe cleaners and whatever else, but in his hands, they took on a whole new use. Now, without being sacrilegious this morning, in an infinitely grander way, Jesus Christ is our MacGyver. <laughs> he can take whatever you've got, no matter how inconsequential it seems, he can take whatever you got and use it for his glory. The only thing that you need to do is give it to him. Let him have it. <laughs> Hand it over to him. You think it needs to be thrown away. Just give it to him anyway. Just give it to him. Uh, we do garage sales every year. It is amazing to me the kind of junk that I have that people want. (laughs) What I see as trash, people buy and will pay a price for. They see value in it. I see no value in it. That's why it's out in the garage sale. If it's not in the garage sale, it's going in the trash. They see it as something to give money for. See, that's how it works. I may see my skills and abilities as nothing, as things to be put in the trash. And God says, wait, I can use that. I can use that. Just give it to me and I'll use it. I'll use it. And you'll be amazed what he can do with your possessions and with your talents and with your skills that have no value whatsoever if you just give them to him. Just give them to him. Now, here's something the crowd learned as they participated in the miracle that day. They realized that whatever God blessed them with, they could pass that on and be a blessing to somebody else as well. Whatever God gave to them, they could pass that thing on, and by doing that, they could be a blessing to somebody else as well. They realized what God gave them, they could give to somebody else, and God could use it. What would have happened if the first dozen or so people in those groups took what was given to them, ate what they wanted, and refused to pass it on to the next people? There would have been a number of hungry folks that day, or there would have been some kind of a fight or riot as a result. Those folks would have gotten nothing to eat because nobody passed the food to them. You getting it? (laughs) The only way this situation worked was for the people to take what the disciples gave them and take what they needed and then pass it on to the next ones who were there for them to take what they needed. And by the way, what they were given was not theirs to begin with. They got that from somebody else. It came to them through no effort or work of their own whatsoever. Now, here you are this morning sitting in a 930 service on a Sunday morning. The snow's coming, and here's here anyway. <laughs> and you, as you sit here, I'm hoping that you're seeking to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm hoping that's why you're here. I'm hoping that's why you came to this place. You are seeking to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You are seeking to live out his presence in your world. 
God has given something to you. God has given many things to you. And these are things that you have received through no effort of your own whatsoever. You didn't earn any of it. God gave it to you out of his grace and out of his mercy. They are things God wanted you to have. And so miraculously, God provided those things to you. God has given you salvation. God has given you eternal life through his son. God has given you his spirit to guide you and to teach you. God has given you his word to read so you can hear from him. God has given you prayer so you can talk to the father and make your needs known. And then no matter what status you have in life, no matter what that is, God has given you blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing to give this world this life purpose and fulfillment while you're here. Over and over. David says daily he loadeth us with benefits. More than you can carry every day, every day. Now, we have a choice like these people had a choice. Take what we're given. Keep it to ourselves. Never allow anybody to take part in it or take what he's given us and pass it down the line. <laughs> pass it down the line. Give it to the next person and the next person and the next person. We can give out the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can tell of the great life that Jesus Christ gives to those who trust in him. We can make known all the privileges that come with being a child of God. And if we do that, some will accept and some will pass it on to the next person and some will pass it on to the next person and to the next person and on and on and on it goes. What is amazing about the, the work that God has called us to is you'll never know until you get to heaven what that work really affected, how much outreach that had. Because as you give it to somebody, you have no idea what they're going to do with it. They might give it to one person or 20 people. That came from you. And on it goes. Again, the great multiplier takes what you have and multiplies it in ways that you'll never find out until you get to heaven. It's all because that's how God set up the work. Uh, that's how we get people to Jesus Christ. That's how people know of him. That works among believers as well. One of the avenues that I have for praising God is when a believer tells me something that God did in their life. And I can praise God on their behalf. As some believers share some blessing God gave them to, with me, I'm encouraged to share some blessing God has given me to, with somebody else. And the body of Christ is encouraged and edified and motivated as we hear how God is working in the lives of other people. That's why when we structured our Thursday night prayer service many years ago, we included a time of praise. Very few prayer services I was involved in as a child had a praise time. Just needs. What do we need? And it got very depressing to hear about all these needs. <laughs> so when we decided to put a Thursday night prayer service together, one thing we decided to do is make it a praise time as well. Let's hear what God is doing. Let's be encouraged by the fact that God is working. And you see, when you praise on a Thursday night service or when you praise on a Sunday morning, uh, there are hungry souls who are struggling in their walk with the Lord, and they're lifted up as they hear God doing work in your life. They realize it's possible. I may be in a slump right now, but God is working and God is moving, and he'll do that for me as well. We can lift each other up as we share God's miracles with the body of Christ and edify one another. I want you to turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the, the verses we're going to read here, uh, we often get lost, lost as Paul identifies the different offices that, are, that God uses in his work. And as a result, we miss the purpose that God has given us for doing the work here on earth. I want you to look at verse, let's start re reading in verse 8. We're going to read down through verse 13. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he had ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Watch it now. Talked about the gifts in verse 8. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. There's the gifts. Now watch verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, look at verses 12 and 13 again. I realize those verses are quite a mouthful. Just look at them again. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Five things result from your ministry as you serve Jesus Christ, if you're serving him. Five things. These are to result. Perfecting the saints, doing the work of the ministry, edifying the body of Christ, bringing unity to the faith, and revealing the knowledge of the Son of God. There's the five things you should be accomplishing in your life. At least those five are the the potential, what you should be accomplishing in your life as you serve him. Every time I share something that God has given to me, whether it be something material or some skill that God has given to me, no matter what it is, maybe it's a testimony of what God has done for me. Every time I do that, I meet the goals of the work of the Lord given to us here in Ephesians chapter 4. Anytime I sell out and share my bread with those around me, God's work is done in all five of those ways. And that's true whether I'm doing it for somebody else who is lost or for somebody who knows the Lord. That is what Jesus Christ did while he was here. It's what he's doing in this account. It's what he's teaching his disciples to do as well. Listen to me, folks. Miracles occur when the people of God, those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, simply trust him and choose to follow him and choose to share what they have with somebody who needs it. That is all it takes to see a miracle. And don't let all the life's distractions and all the concerns of life get in the way of you doing that. Whatever your situation that you are in today, try the best you can through the God's help to take that situation and give God glory for it and allow other people to hear how you're glorifying God in spite of the circumstances. That's what God expects. Anybody on this earth can complain about something. Only God's people can take a difficult situation and bring glory from it because there's a higher purpose to it. And we've got a God who cares. When I present the gospel to some lost soul, when I give words of encouragement to some downtrodden believer, I put myself in the place to be a part of God's miracle. Why are you here? You're here so that people who are lost can find hope in Jesus Christ. You are here to help those who have no hope find hope. You're here that you might build up the body of Christ. You're here that you might perfect saints. You're here that you might build unity. You're here to reveal the knowledge of God. And that work starts by doing exactly what these disciples did in Mark chapter 6. They may have started out skeptical. They may have started out suspicious. They may have started out doubting. That may be where you are this morning as you go through your situation. Skeptical and suspicious and doubting. Those disciples may have seen those five loaves and two fishes and said, what a ridiculous attempt that is to feed 5,000 people. But then, but then, please hear me, but then they remembered who was with them. 
They saw the five loaves and two fish, and then they saw him. <laughs> and when they put those two things together, uh, they remember what they had seen him do in the past, and so they placed their faith in him, realizing that in his hands, the ordinary could become extraordinary. The minimal could become magnificent. <laughs> in their hearts, they knew his word, they knew his promises, and they knew him. And so they took what he gave to them and began to share it with other people, and God's miraculous multiplication begins. Believer, he wants to do that through you and me this morning. You can be the point at which God's miraculous multiplication begins. You can be that person. That's what he wants to do. We just have to be brave enough and have enough faith to let it happen. Enough faith in him. Let me ask you this morning as we close. Do you want to see God do something miraculous in your life? In your family? In your church? (laughs) Then give him what you have and let him multiply it. Don't fancy it all up. Don't make it all presentable. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. In all its its horrible looks, just give it to him. And let him multiply it and then share that thing with whoever God places in your path. I guarantee you, based upon Mark chapter 6 this morning, if you will do that, you'll see a miracle occur right before your eyes. And this familiar account assures us of that. Just give it to him. Let him multiply it and watch what he does as a result.